Okay, looks like we are live. Welcome, everyone. Praise God. It's always uh, good to be with believers where we should be assembled. Now, like I said, Wednesday night, unlike what Andy Stanley said, we are commanded to assemble. I don't care what he says. I don't care how many people listen to that guy. So there's a lot going on in the world today. Um, you know, as we uh, sing in the songs and when I looked at the, at the, um, uh, the music set, one of the things that came to mind was, um, I don't know how many of you guys have been watching some of the things that have been going on. And uh, we are in a really uh, interesting time. So a couple of those songs were those that were sung by a little, well, I don't know how little it is, but church up in Moscow, Idaho. And they had gathered together and in a peaceful, what is truly peaceful, not the fake peaceful that the media tries to convince us of, calling protests and riots peaceful while there's burning things in the background. Um, they were actually there for no other reason other than to praise God in song and sing hymns and sing psalms. And uh, two of the songs that we're doing this morning were are, um, or today are some of the songs that Jeremy picked. Pretty awesome. Um, oh, Four Thousand Tongues was one. They, they, of course, singing more in a choir style and they didn't have any instruments. Um, they done this. They did this twice this last week. The first time they did this after the or during the, the songs, um, as they were beginning to sing, uh, uh, before they sang the doxology, they were singing "Amazing Grace," and that's that's when uh, three three of those people of that congregation were arrested for not socially distancing, not wearing the masks, and and this is going to be weird because there's nobody over here. Um, but uh, we're in an interesting time, and I love the fact that, that God put on Jeremy's heart to put these songs in there, That because uh, I don't think he watches or he doesn't follow that stuff like I do, but um, it's interesting that we picked two songs that were the ones that were uh, sung by this group, um, and it's not the last time this is going to happen. They did do it again the very next day. Um, and the good thing was they didn't, uh, they weren't, uh, the cops were there again, but they didn't uh, arrest anybody the second time. And the crowd that gathered had increased by at least double, if not triple. So the first night there was probably a, a good 60, 70 people. And the next day there was close to 200 and plus people that were there just gathered at the city hall singing praises to God. Um, the second day, the police were smart enough to not be, uh, um, you know, they stood back, let this, let this happen. And of course, the first time that they did this, the, uh, you know, they must have a rat or something. I don't know, because they had just decided on that afternoon to do that, reached out to other people, said, hey, we're going to do this this afternoon. And somehow, some way, City Hall got a hold of it there. And, uh, so they went out and hurried and, scurried and got other people to put out little circles where everybody's supposed to stand. And nobody was, you know, there were very few people that were, you know, paying attention to that. There was a few. And, uh, but it's interesting times that we're in where, um, 
and uh, the uh, part of the other praise that I, um, you know, Carrie touched on it was watching the, uh, the thousands upon thousands, the tens of thousands of believers that were in Washington, D.C., where uh, believers are needed desperately to be in prayer for, uh, for that city and for the things that go on there. There's a real darkness and the depth of that spirit of the age there is, it's incredibly dark. And to see the people um, there at the, uh, um, I mean, how many of us have, have seen the, the movie Forrest Gump and seen the picture of there where there's, there's you know, in front of the, the, the Lincoln Memorial and, and on that, uh, where everybody gathers there. And, and it was, you could see it yesterday, it was just packed. It was like that scene from, uh, from there where there's just thousands upon thousands of people so far that you couldn't see how, how far they go back. And that was encouraging. Um, it's encouraging to see, um, I can't remember what his name is, Sean something or other. Um, kind of worry a little bit about that, but he's, he goes from place to place and they play music and, you know, people come to Christ. And, and I believe that he does, he does, he, he draws people using that, but I, I worry that what kind of a message are they putting out there that moves so many people to just, you know, automatically react. And I think it's a lot of it is emotion and that's, uh, unfortunate. But it's good to see these things happening. Um, where we're at today in Isaiah is kind of, it, it's, it's weird how everything that, that we're going through here in, in Isaiah kind of mimics what's going on in the world today and how people have turned from a, um, from the law of God, have turned away from, from what God has decreed, what God has defined what God has made so clear. And we're in a place where people are, are, have gone beyond uh, the, uh, uh, the law of God and, and uh, they've gone beyond doing what is right, what we all, you know, understand to be the right thing to do. And we're in a place where there's, uh, thousands upon thousands, if not millions of people who are, um, trying to be as autonomous as they can. They've become a self-law unto themselves, which is no law at all. I mean, we see the anarchy that's being perpetrated everywhere. And that's what happens. That's what happens when you turn from God and the simple things that He has instituted, the definitions, everything that He's, he's called that is good, when we turn from that and we turn to another law, and in this case, um, in Isaiah here, we see this over and over again. We've got more doom and gloom. <laughs> Last time we were here in Isaiah 9, we, we talked about the darkness and how the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. I wanted to end with a focus on that. And we're going to pick up in uh, uh, verse uh, uh, 7 uh, as a review, if you will. But it's important because Regardless of what is going on and regardless of all the, the darkness and things, we, we had uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, pass away. Um, and it's, it's really sad. Um, it's really sad when you think about the accolades and the things that, sh that are being said about her for the most part of the media. When you really look at her, her life, what she stood for, they were pretty dark. They were pretty dark. She stood for things that redefined what God had called into His created order. 
Marriage between one man and woman. She didn't stand for that. She needed more. She wanted to redefine that. The murdering of babies, just for the sake of murdering babies, for the sake of convenience. She was all for that. She wanted to call it a right. And it's sad that, that we're celebrating, uh, I see on the media, I see in pro sports and all these things, where, where they're, uh, which, by the way, um, it's not to influence you, but I'm just letting you know, and I'm not virtue signaling, I'm just telling you, I don't support any pro sports right now. Zero. None. I won't. I can't. I can't. In good conscience, I cannot. When they're parading around in uh, with uh, the names of, of criminals and glorifying them, I, I, just, I just can't. So I don't. And guess what? I don't miss it. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. It, it doesn't mean anything in my life anyway. So all it did was cause frustration. Um, so, um, so we're in that time, in that weird time where there's, it really is upside down. It really is Alice in Wonderland kind of, kind of bizarro land, weird. Where good, and we're going to get into this in the next few chapters. Um, where good is being called evil, and evil is becoming, being called good. We're celebrating the celebration of criminals, and where truth doesn't matter. All that matters is, is this emotional, driven uh, hysteria for the sake of anarchy, for the sake of takeover, for the sake of, of uh, usurpation, usurping the, the powers that be on a false principle. Those are many of the things that were going on in the time of Isaiah where we're at. And God is calling them on it. And here in 9, he's, He just spent time uh, talking about um, the child that would be born to them and to us. And he was looking forward 650, approximately 650 years before that time was actually going to come where this specifically was going to be fulfilled. But it also had an immediate fulfillment. And remember that um, in uh, the prior uh, prior chapter, in chapter 7, that uh, there was this war that was going on between uh, the king of Judah king of Israel and the king of uh, Syria and the king of Syria and, and uh, um, Israel king of uh, Israel was Pekah and they were trying to conspire trying to get uh, uh, the king of Judah Ahaz to come alongside with them and fight against the, the king of Assyria and he refused God said no don't do this and he actually listened and he chose not to do it anyways and so now these two kings are conspiring against him. But God is calling out the people, the people of Israel. They had turned from God. Remember, um, they had uh, with uh, Jeroboam, where this all started. God had instituted that he would seek the kings of Israel. And that he would be the one to choose them. Well, starting with Jeroboam, they started to choose themselves. And it all started to unravel. And we're at a point where early on in, uh, in Isaiah's mi uh, ministry where, where he's talking about this thing. And, and uh, in verse 6, he says, For a child will be born to us. And this is hope. We're just saying about hope. He's our living hope. This is who he was speaking of. A child that would be born. A son that would be given. And I, I, uh, I've titled today's message, His Government. 
because I want to focus on this a little bit. Um, and it says the very next verse, or the very next part of the verse, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Those are big shoulders indeed. The creator of everything. That government that he's talking about, and we'll get into that a little bit more, and it says his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Um, so in verse 7, it reads like this, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of the peace. Now, peace is something that we all want, right? We all strive for that peace. The world right now wants peace, but they want peace by force. They think that they can have peace by, hey, if you don't believe like us, we're going to do away with you so that we can have peace. And really what it is, is um, the darkness is, uh, and the, the rage, the violence, the wickedness, the evil that is being unfolded before us. They hate the church. They hate the church. They hate God. They're haters of God. They hate everything about what God stands for and what His church stands for. But it says here that there will be no end. Once He comes, there's going to be no end to the increase of His government. And and this, this is what I love. It's not only that there's not going to be any increase or there's not going to be no end to the increase of his government, or of peace. Peace. And we're going to talk about that today. Then he says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, um, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness, from then on and forevermore. See, there's no end. When it began, it continues on. It continues on today. We're part of that kingdom. And I love what it says here, the zeal of the Lord will, of hosts will accomplish it. I love that because that makes us dependent on His zeal. It's not up to us. And sometimes I think we don't spend enough time thinking about how freeing and how liberating that that is. Hey, when it's not dependent on me, then I can just go forward and not worry about the consequences. I don't have to worry about the outcome. God, His zeal, Yahweh is the one who will accomplish this, regardless of me. He says, and the Lord sends a message against uh, Jacob, and it falls on Israel. And all the people know it. Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, asserting in pride and in arrogance of heart. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with smooth stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Therefore, the Lord raises against them Adversaries from Pesim and spurs their enemies on. That's pretty scary and spooky when you think about it. God is the one who raises up an enemy against you, and He's the one that's driving them. That's a pretty spooky place to be. But He says, This is what's going to happen. And we'll get more into that in a minute. He says in verse 12 the, Amer the Arameans of the east and the Philistines of the west, they devour Israel with. Gaping jaws. In spite of all this, His, God, His anger does not turn away. His hand is still stretched out. Now that should be fairly familiar because back in chapter 5, we had the very same idea where God is calling out the judgment and says the very same thing. Still His anger does not turn away. 
and his hand is still stretched out. And I don't think that it means necessarily that he's just stretched out hoping that someone will turn and grab hold of it. His hand is stretched out in wrath and anger. And that's another spooky thing. Verse 13, he says, Yet the people do not turn back to him who struck them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cuts off the head and the tail from Israel. Both palm branch and bulrush in a single day. The head is the elder and the honorable man. And the prophet who teaches falsehood is the tail. For those who guide this people are leading them astray. And those who are guided by them are brought to confusion. Therefore, the Lord does not take pleasure in their young men. Nor does he have pity on their orphans. Or on their widows. For every one of them is godless. And an evildoer. And every mouth is speaking foolishness. In spite of all this. His anger does not turn away. And his hand is still stretched out. That gives me the chills. In a negative sense. It's terrible to think about. As uh, Jonathan Edwards said. It's uh, you know, terrible to in the hands of an angry God. And that's what they were. Verse 18, he says, For wickedness burns like fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It even sets the thickets of the forest aflame. And they roll upward in a column of smoke. By the fury of the Lord of hosts, land is burnt up. It's so weird that there's so many of these things that are even going on today in our country. Fires that are uncontrollable. Fires that are consuming everything. And I'm not trying to read us into this. I want to dispel that. It's just weird to think about all that's going on. Read this and not come away with, man, I can see a lot of this stuff. And it's for the same reason. Godlessness. And he says in verse 19, By the fury of the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of armies, in the, in the Hebrew, the land is burnt up. The people are like fuel for the fire. No man spares his brother. And they slice off what is on the right hand. But they are still hungry. They eat what is on the left hand. But they are not satisfied. Each of them eats the flesh of his own arm. Yeah. So bad. But they won't stop. They'll continue. Manasseh devours Ephraim. Ephraim, Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. In spite of all of this, his anger does not turn away. And his hand is still stretched out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. This, uh, these words are hard to read and to take in. The terror of our God, our holy, righteous God, should consume us. In light of all that's going on that we see and that we read in, in the time of Isaiah, our brother. But it should also, we should also be mindful of the fact that you sent, you gave us a son. That you gave us your son. And so many people reject what you have given. And how angry and wrathful that you should be at that rejection. 
Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Even though the wrath is deserved. We thank you that you remember your kindness, your patience, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you for all these things and more. And we pray that you would open up our eyes, ears, minds, and hearts to be mindful of this. That anyone that's uh, listening online that uh, maybe has never thought about these things, they would look and see. That we would pray all the more for repentance. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We bless you. Be glorified. Be exalted in all these things and more. For your name's sake and for your glory's sake, we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hard words. Difficult things. Um, you don't sit there and read these things and just, you know, feel like you're, a, you know, man, that's great. I'm going to, it doesn't really pump you up. It kind of brings you down when you think about it. And when you think about the judgment that is to come, the billions, if not trillions, upon trillions of people will find themselves in the place of judgment because they have rejected what God has said. They've rejected God's decree. They've rejected God in what He has given, even His own Son, to reconcile people unto Himself. And uh, I try not to spend too much time thinking about that because that just will consume you. But in light of that, even in uh, in Isaiah 59, um, God records this through the prophet Isaiah. And this is speaking of God. And he saw that there was no man. And was astonished that there was no one to intercede. There's no one. Not even one. There's no one good. There's no one who does good. There's no one righteous. Not even one. Praise God for the next line though. Of that verse. He says. Then his own arm brought salvation to him. And his righteousness upheld him. He sent that, that child. Child was born. Son was given. So that we could know hope. So that we could know peace. So that in the darkness that consumes us from around us and envelops everything that is in this world, we could have light. And it's not just a little light, it's a great light. In Revelation, it says that the presence of God is going to be so bright, so illuminous, that the sun and the moon will be ashamed and the stars will be ashamed. And they'll hide. And the presence of God will illumine everything, so much so that we won't have any need for those anymore. He will illumine everything. There will be no more darkness. There will only be light. And we'll exist in that presence. We'll exist in that existence. But there's no more darkness. No more dark nights. And even something weird to think about is like, I wonder if we're, apparently we're not going to need any sleep. It's weird to think about for eternity. It's just weird. I like sleep. I like naps. <laughs> I like to get all comfortable and you know, fall asleep. Um, apparently there's not going to be that. So there's not going to be any end. The son that was given 
child that was born, the government will rest on his shoulders. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. I did find comfort in that as I began reading that. I just thought about that. His government. That's what he came to do to establish. In the midst of all the chaos and all the things, and even in that time, all that was going on, all the chaos, all the destruction, all the lawlessness and the sinfulness, all the rebelliousness, all of those things, even in the midst of those, there was, yes, there were people who still trusted in God and who still sought to seek Him. Not every single person was guilty of these things, but most of them had turned from God. But even in the midst of those things, and even in the midst today of all the chaos and all the, 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 the hatred, the bitter hatred that we see, the derangement, the inability to understand truth and to even desire truth, in the midst of that, there is still no end to the increase of His government. He is still in control. So why do we have peace? Because when we understand that, when we have been driven to where we know that we're sinners, and we all are, we're all guilty, we're all deserving of His wrath, we're all deserving of His judgment, we're all deserving of His condemnation, rightfully so. But praise God for His grace, His mercy, that He has bestowed upon us simply because He is good. And even while we were yet sinners, He still loved us. And He gave Himself for us that we might be reconciled. And in the midst of all this, this is why we can have peace. This is why we can rejoice. This is why we can not worry about all those things. Because His government will not cease. In fact, it's going to increase continually. It says there's no end. And it's on His shoulders. He's the one driving it. Think about that when he says in uh, when Jesus says that he, what he says in, in uh, Matthew chapter eleven. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's where we find peace, and that's the picture that I get when it says that his government is on his shoulders. He's got that yoke on. He's carrying it. And he says, I'll deliver peace to you. I will provide the rest that you need. I'll do it. Why? Because the government is resting upon his shoulders. And he is the one who inhabits the heavens. And the heavens cannot contain him. He's the very same one. Praise God. So his government will not decrease. In fact, it will increase and in so, there will also be the increase of peace, even in the midst of everything that, that is going on. I love the, the brothers that were, uh, and the couple that were uh, um, arrested there in Moscow. And praise God for, uh, I forgot to mention that, uh, uh, Pastor MacArthur. Um, they went to, to court, and they had a judge who was actually a decent judge, even there in California. And uh, he ruled justly. 
He said, look, contempt, in order for there to be in contempt, there had to be a, a court setting. And there wasn't. He can't be in contempt of something that he hasn't been guilty of. So we're just going to toss that out. You have to come to court first in order for him to be in contempt. And so, you know, God is, is working, he's doing um, things. Um, I can't, I keep forgetting to remember the, memorize the other uh, pastor, and I, I'm, I'm sure that uh, he's the one that is getting fined. Rather than getting all these threats, he's actually getting fined. And I think it's up to like $54,000 or $64,000 or something. Um, it's crazy, and, and you know, it's, but the increase of his government is going to continue, and the peace, and the people that are being drawn, because we're having uh, pastors that are standing up to these tyrants, to this ridiculous stuff that's going on. As the numbers go down, and less and less and less people die, they're, they're clamping down even harder. It's just bizarre. And so it was in the times of Isaiah, um, when he's talking about this, but thank God he begins with, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of the peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. So he is the one uh, who gives us that hope. And the, the word that is used there for the, for the government, it is uh, the Hebrew word misra. Misra is the word. And it simply means a rule, a dominion, a government. So the increase of his dominion, or the increase, and, and that's a proper word to think about when you think about Genesis. In the very beginning, God made man, he says, you have dominion over what? Over all of my creation. You have dominion over it. So Jesus has come, and he's the one, and now he has dominion. He has rule over it all. And it's his government. And that's the word that is used here. The word for kingdom is, is, a, is a different word entirely. Mamlaka. Mamlaka is the word in the Hebrew. And it simply means, it's got the same connotation. It's a kingdom. It's dominion. It's reign. It's sovereignty. So he's not only the, the one who the government the, the, the sits on his shoulders and rules and he has dominion. He also is sovereign over it. Over his realm. He's sovereign over everything. And it's not just His church. He is has authority over everything. Right? That's what He says after the resurrection. Before He tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait for Him. Wait 50 days. He says, all authority has been given to me. In the heavens, because He had that before. And on earth, everywhere on the earth, and under the earth. That's everything. That's everything everywhere. No matter where you look, no matter how far you look, no matter how distant the galaxies and the edge of the universe or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's all under His authority. That's why we have hope, and that's why there's no end to peace. And He says it's on the throne of David. That one throne that He said was going to continue on, and there would be no end to it. To establish it and uphold it with what? Justice and righteousness. Remember when Jesus came, one of the things that we don't often think about, and if you go to, to uh, the, the book of Daniel, chapter 9, he mentions this about Mashiach. Mashiach Nagib. 
Messiah the Prince who would come. And at one point, he would be Qatar. Excuse me, Karat is the word. Cut off. He's going to be snuffed out. But he's going to bring in righteousness, everlasting righteousness. He's going to deal with sin once for all. That's what Daniel says. It sounds like when you're reading it, it sounds like the people, but it's really the one who was going to come and deal with those. That's why we know sin has been dealt with. That's why we can have peace. Because when we know that we are His, and when we're trusting in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. All. Paul says it in a couple different places. And I love that. That we can go to those places in Colossians, Philippians, where he says we're forgiven all our sins. That's past, present, and future, y'all. That's a good thing. Yeah. Because there's the sins of omission and the sins of commission. Sometimes we don't even know we're sinning until later. The Holy Spirit said, hey, you're a real jerk. You need to go back. You sin. Man. Sometimes we don't even know it in the moment. Praise God that all our sins are forgiven. That's the great light that would come. The one that would shine in the darkness. He establishes this throne and this government on justice and righteousness. That which is so, so absent today. We've forgotten that. We need to, as the church, we need to regather to ourselves biblical language. It drives me nuts when I hear um, seemingly solid Christian teachers use the language of the world. Well, there's value. We have certain values. Like, no, stop that. This is what God has said is what we need to be saying. God has said this is the way that it is. Stop using the language of the world. Bring our language back. It's not abortion, it's murder. That's what it is when we're talking about babies in the womb. And I, and I like what, uh, what you know, some people have said. Hey, uh, and I can't remember who, I wish I could uh, attribute it to the, to the rightful person that I saw when I, when I read this. They said, hey, if, if that's just a clump of cells, like we're told, by Planned Parenthood and those other murder mills. That's just a clump of cells in there. Why do they harvest those human body parts? Why? They're just a clump of cells. This is the type of thing that was going on in the time of Isaiah. Everything had been dispelled that God had said, and now they were making up their own thing. They're redefining their own ways. They're doing what they want. But it says that His throne will be established and uphold, upheld in justice and in righteousness. And that's why we're to be a people who do justice, but love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Um, he says, from then on and forevermore, His, once He established that government, it will never cease. It has never stopped. Unlike the predominant faith that is around us that says that they had to restore something, it didn't. Because it says here, from then on and forevermore. Now, either Isaiah was misspeaking, he misunderstood, 
or he just flat out lied. But he's quoting God. He's quoting God. Uh, God don't make mistakes. He doesn't lie. He can't. He cannot lie. And then he says, the zeal of the Lord of the hosts, the Lord of armies, we're warriors. And oftentimes we don't speak about that Jesus, that warrior God of ours, who will come and who will rule with a rod of iron. That's a picture that we don't want to think about. Riding on a horse. And the picture of someone riding a king, riding on a horse, returning in battle gear with a rod of iron and a sword. Uh, that's for waging war. And that's what he's going to do with the enemies of God. Who will no longer be allowed to play twistianity with the very words that we entrust as being God's. They won't be able to do that anymore. The enemies of God. Some of those enemies are within the church. Some of those enemies are within the church that twist what this says to meet what they want. But the true, regenerate, elect of God, we look to this as the established truth, that which we can trust with authority. And we hold on to that. It holds on to us when we look at it in the right way. It says the Lord sends a message against Jacob and it falls on Israel. And all the people know it. It's the same idea when we're talking about people who call themselves atheists or what I call anti-theists, rightfully. They say, well, I just don't believe in God. No, yes, you do. The atheist says, I don't believe. There's not enough evidence. Oh, yes, you do. You do believe. It's just like this. This message that God sends, they, they all know it. They know it's true, but they're going to deny it. They've become, you know, the, the Cleopatra, the, the queens of denial. They're no longer wanting to hear what God has to say, so they just ignore it as best they can. It says in verse 9 that all the people know it. That is... Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, asserting in pride and arrogance of heart. By the way, back in chapter 7, where it talked about the virgin shall be with child, um, that was actually a fulfillment in their time, more than likely. It was probably either the, the wife of Isaiah or the, maybe one of the young maidens that the king had access to that would have a child. Because within three years of God speaking that, these... Um, people that were coming against Ahaz, they were destroyed. So God fulfilled it. Took three years, but it was it was done. And so here, when he says, when he's talking about Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, that's who he's talking about. They're going to be destroyed. I mean, think about it. Like somebody coming into uh, your wherever you live in, in the area that you live in, and they're... Some enemy comes in and they just grab all as many people as they can and they whisk them away and you're never to return to a foreign land, to a foreign people, a foreign tongue, foreign culture, foreign gods, all foreign. And you're never to return to that place. He says all the people of, of Ephraim and uh, the inhabitants of Samaria asserting in pride and in arrogance of heart 
And because of that, God says, no, I'm going to destroy all that. And you're going to be whisked away. And it's going to come on you. Remember? Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Swift. is the booty. Swift is the prey. Um, it's going to happen fast. They're not going to get another moment to think about it. This is what they say in their heart, in the haughtiness of their minds. They say the bricks have fallen down, but, but we're going to rebuild it with smooth stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but, but we'll replace them with cedars. What are they doing here? They're in utter rebellion against what God has already decreed. This judgment will come to pass. That's what's scary about God's judgment. Is when it comes, there's no turning back. It has to have its way. It doesn't matter what you think. See, this is, this is the postmodern era of their time. It doesn't matter what God says. We don't believe in truth. We don't believe in any of that. We're going to rebuild it all. It's going to be hard to do when there's no one there to rebuild it. It's going to be hard to replant a forest when there's no one there to plant it. He says, therefore, because of the arrogance and the, the pride in their... And by the way, God hates pride. He probably hates that more than any other thing. We're just puffed up dirt. That's all we are. We're puffed up dirt. What we got to be proud of? Absolutely nothing. And we can't even be puffed up dirt without God giving us the puff. Right? And so God hates pride. It was pride that drove the devil out of heaven. And God does not play. He says, therefore, the Lord raises against the adversaries, against them, these prideful, arrogant people. And in their heart, that's from deep within. That's visceral. That's, that's way deep within them, this pride and this arrogance. And so, ah, you know, God, we're going to rebuild. We're going to take care of this. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much. God says He's going to raise against them adversaries from Racine and spurs their enemies on. And like I was saying when I first read through this, I mean, think about that. God calls an enemy against you and then drives them on. That's pretty scary. He gives a supernatural power and strength, fierceness and violence. That's what He does. And that's what He's going to send to them. They're not just going to be the regular enemies. They're going to be driven by God. He's the one who drives them. He spurs them on. The Arameans on the east and the Philistines on the west. So they're coming from different directions. They devour Israel with gaping jaws. Get the picture of a lion or a cat of prey of some kind that comes at you. And they, or a giant hippo. Hippos are dangerous. They're mean. They can't see very well. I don't blame them for being ticked off. I'm just going to bite whatever's in front of me. <laughs> but they're, 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 they, they, are, they will kill. That's that idea. Hungry, hungry hippos coming at you. And you can't do anything about it. Yeah. And God's the one that's driving them. That's the way they're going to be. Their jaws are agape. Ah! They're coming. 
And here at the end of verse 12, and in spite of all this, his anger does not turn away. He's still angry. This isn't judgment enough. And sadly, these very people that we're writing about, that we're reading about here, these very people will one day face the fires of the lake of fire. They've got another judgment yet to come. That's what happens to the enemies of God. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. His anger is still not turned away. And his hand is still stretched out against them. Yet, the people do not turn back to him who struck them. Remember what he said. The people know it. They know who's striking them. They know who's coming against them. They know that he, all they have to do is turn. They've gotten to the place, and sin does that. It drives us to the place where we become arrogant, prideful. When we turn away from God for so long, sometimes there's no turning back. In God's patience, God's mercy, His long-suffering, it's long, long, but it does come to an end. It does come to an end. And they still won't turn back to Him. They don't seek the Lord of hosts. Remember in the previous chapters where they said, Hey, Isaiah, why don't you go talk to the mediums and the spiritists? Go ask them. They'll tell you something different than what this God is telling you. That's how far gone they were. They don't even look to God anymore. Like Carrie was saying, you know, when so often we neglect. Um, as, uh, oh gosh, I... Wish I could remember who it was that said it. I want to say it's A.W. Tozer. That said that Jesus went more willingly to the cross than we go to the throne of grace as his children. That convicted me when I read that. I was like, why oh, you got to be so mean? But it's true. Yeah. Like, man, it's harsh, but it's true. The people had become like this. They wouldn't turn to God. So, Yahweh cuts off the head and the tail from them. The ones that should have been driving them to back to God. The one who should have been leading them back to righteousness and to holiness. To repentance first. To confession of sin. To those things that we're told to do. Instead, they were driving them further and further and further away from God. This is both palm and branch and bulrush in a single day. Gone. Gone like the wind. The head is the elder and the honorable man. The prophet who teaches falsehood is the tail. We get this in the church today even. Just the other day I was listening to a message and I just it just drives me crazy. According to this person that was preaching, he said, hey, you know what? God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. Oh, God wants to bless you. But you got to let Him. you got to let Him. God wants to do things in your life. And He wants to do things within you, but, but you have to give Him permission. To which I responded over the radio, the Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name. That is utter nonsense. 
It's not what we've read here, what Isaiah understood. It's his government. He is the one who, it sits on his shoulders. He is the one that is sovereign. He is the one that is has dominion over. He does as he pleases. You don't have you don't give God permission, tough luck. He's gonna do what he wants anyway. That's the way that he works. And rightfully so. He's worthy. He's worthy. And he has the right to do it. He's the creator. Nobody has a right to say, well, God, I'm going to think about that. Maybe I'll give you permission. Maybe I won't. And it's the same way these false prophets, these prophets who are teaching falsehood, they were teaching the same types of things. They're the tales. The ones who should have been teaching about God rightfully are the ones who were turning them away from God. He says, for those who guide this people are leading them astray. Man. They're going to be held doubly accountable. Therefore, it says those who are guided them, guided by them are brought to confusion. And if I ever, you know, say things or teach things or preach things that are confusing, please see me afterwards so I can clarify. Because I never want that. I want to be as clear as possible. I want clarity. God blessed me this week to be able to talk with somebody and and uh, try to work through some things. And that was one of the things that I kept repeating. I said, look, the reason I'm asking all these questions is simple. It's because I need clarity. In order to help you, in order to answer your questions, I need clarity. And i got to get to the heart of the matter. And the only way to do that, to get past all the stuff, to get to the heart of the matter. To be able to give you an answer. And that's all I'm doing it for. It's not to confuse you. It's not to uh, um, pry and and open up uh, things in your life that you don't want. I just need some clarity to be able to help. And it was really simple. All I was trying to do was ask that question. Are you born again? Are you really a believer? We need to start with that. Because how I answer your questions that you have that are probing questions In order to answer you rightly and with clarity, I need to know, are you a believer or are you not a believer? Because I'm going to answer you either way. If you're not a believer, I'm going to answer you one way. And if you are a believer, then I'm going to answer you another way. And somewhere in between, there's going to be the mingling of the two. But ultimately, that's what I need to know. And I was just doing this for clarity. And that's what we should be doing as people of God. To be able to clarify these things. Not to muddle the waters. And when we do, we should say, sorry, we didn't mean to muddle the waters. Let's you know, get something and sift this out and clear this out so that we have clarity. But no, they were leading the people and guiding them to confusion. Therefore, <laughs> therefore, therefore the Lord does not take pleasure in their young men. Now listen to this. This is sad. This is sad because we know the heart of God. This is sad because we know how over and over and over in the Old Testament and the New Testament, how important it is to God to take care of the orphans and the widows. It was one of the most important things. Those who are the, the, who can't provide for themselves, who struggle. Those who don't have providers. He says, take care of them. But they had gotten God to such a place where it says here, 
Therefore, the Lord does not take pleasure in their young men, nor does He have pity on their orphans or on their widows. In another place in Isaiah 59, it says, it says, your sins have made a breach between you and God. He hears your prayers. He sees you praying. You come to Him, but your sin is set up a breach, a wall between you and God. And that's what had happened here. And the heart of God is to take care of widows and orphans. Those who can't provide for themselves. He says, I don't even have pity on them because of your sin. I mean, that's, a, that's just mind-blowing for God to say that. To get to this point. Nor does He have pity on their orphans or their widows, for every one of them is godless and an evildoer. And every mouth is speaking foolishness. In spite of all this, his anger does not turn away. His hand is still stretched out. For wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It even sets the thickets of the forest aflame. They were all upward in the column of smoke. By the fury of the Lord, hosts, the land is burned up. And the people are like fuel for the fire. No man spares his brother. There is no longer any love for one another. How did Jesus reduce the commandments of God down to two? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Made it easy. The qualifications of the commandments are love. They don't even love their own brothers. They give each other up. People are like fuel for the fire. No man spares his brother. They slice off. And this is really gross when you think about it. This is pretty graphic language. They slice off what is on the right hand but are still hungry. So get, get that picture. Chopping off the right hand and eating it. Again, they're the hungry, hungry hippos. They're not satisfied. So they cut off their left hand. And they're still not satisfied. In their wickedness. That's what sin does. That's what turning away from God does. That's what I see pouring out in the streets. With these people who just will not listen. They can't. They're so full of... They've been deceived. They've been brought to a place of confusion where they cannot hear. They will not hear. They're full of fury, rage, violence. You see a person, I, that video of a person there in, in Los Angeles that safely went through a crowd and then they chased that person down. How dare you go through us? Not acknowledge. To where the person finally was thankfully got away without being drugged out of his car and killed right there on the street. It doesn't make sense. It's senseless. This is the way that the people of this time were here in Isaiah. The people of his time. This is what he had to see. He had to be a witness to these things. They slice off what is on the right hand but are still hungry. And they eat what is left on the left hand but they are still not satisfied. Each of them eats the flesh of his own arm. 
Now he's using some pretty disgusting and real heavy-duty, hard-hitting language to paint that picture. That's how low that they were. That's how bad it had become. And he says, Manasseh devours Ephraim, and Ephraim Manasseh. And together, they are against Judah. And in spite of all this, his anger does not turn away. His hand is still stretched out. That's the wrath of God. When it is poured out, it is just. It is right. And it takes care. And there is a recompense. There is always a recompense to pay. There is always a price that you will ultimately pay. No matter how much you mock God, no matter how much you want to not um, admit that God exists, no matter how much people want to laugh away the things of God, there's a recompense. And His anger will not be turned away. His hand will still be stretched out in His wrath when He pours it out. Now, as for us, we are the people of God. We are warriors in Christ. We have a warrior king. He has a government. And I want to focus back on that government as the people of, of just to lift up our spirits a little bit. Because dealing with the judgments of God is tough. Okay? It's, it's almost like a gloom that comes over you because you know when you start to be, begin to understand the, the way that He is and His holiness and His righteousness. But we as the God of people are warriors in Christ, not for the purpose of backbiting or gossip, not, not for the purpose of being backpedalers. No, we're given an armor. We're given strength. We have peace. We have hope. We have light to shine in the darkness. We have hope to give people who are in the darkness. We have an armor, that shield of faith, that helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, that sword of truth, that, that uh, uh, the sword of the word and the, the belt of truth. And our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We have peace to offer to people. And that peace is found only in Christ Jesus. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 10. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. See, we're warriors. We should all be warring against things. He says, We do not war against the flesh. We struggle with all different kinds of things. That's not the war. The war is spiritual. The flesh is simply gets in the way. It says, for we, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the, of the flesh. See, our weapons that we have, sword, shield, helmet, breastplate, the boots, yeah, all those things, they're spiritual. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but Divinely powerful. That government. The one who governs the government. The one whose shoulders the government rests on. The one who is, has dominion and sovereignty over that government. And that kingdom. That is what divinely powers 
those weapons. He says, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is made complete. Paul also says in 2 Timothy this, he says, for this reason I remind you, this is a good word for us today, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. Each one of us has it. If we are truly His, we have that gift. ...in this world has been decreed and it will um, be as He has determined. For who can thwart the plans of the Lord? Let us therefore be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer, supplication. Let our requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, the one whom the government belongs to. The government without end and the ever-increasing peace. He will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, the King of His own government. For those who don't know Do you know Him? For those who aren't sure, does He know you? Are you sure of your eternity? Are you under the umbrella of His governance? Only you and God can answer that. And to Him alone be the glory. God sent His Son to die on that cross. He did. He took our sin. He paid that debt. He was buried according to Scripture. And He rose again according to Scripture. And that's why we have hope. Because He lives, because He lives, when we trust in Him, we too shall live. And He didn't come to just give us life. He came to give us abundant life. Life abundant. Not just life, but abundant life. And it's going to be just like that. The Son, the cross, and the resurrection, that's what the gospel is all about. Our hope is in the Son, the child who was born to us, the Son who was given, the cross that He bore, that we deserve. And praise God that He was buried and took with Him those sins. He paid that price. And on the third day, Christ rose again because Christ has risen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you for those who look to you. Lord, I pray that you would just bless. Bless us, Lord, as we to to for your kingdom's sake, for the sake of your government. Let it increase with us as well. Let that peace that surpasses all comprehension. Let it just Envelop us. But the fact of the liberty and the freedom that we have, because it's all in your hands, and you will do it. Pray that it would power us and and drive us on 
And it would spur us on. Not like the enemies of our brethren, but as the enemies of our enemies. Help us to love them. To pray for them. And to hope for them. Father, we pray that you would just be glorified in all these things. That you would be exalted. We thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you. That you have not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. But of sound mind. We thank you, Lord, for all these things and more. We pray that you would have your way in us. Through us. For your name's sake and for your glory's sake. For your kingdom's sake. And for your government's sake. Thank you that it rests on your shoulders. That you're more than capable and strong enough to carry us and to empower us with those divinely empowered empowerments. Hallelujah. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.